it seems so fantastic, the second coming of Jesus, that it's like I don't want to tackle it. Every Christian has 12 different views on their eschatological position. I don't want to go through this again. What's going to happen in the millennium? What about that crazy person that thought Y2K was the end? What about that person that thinks Jesus is not even coming? He's just coming figuratively. figuratively. What about my uncle who has 25,000 cans in the basement and a shotgun? I don't even want to tackle these things. I want to say, I understand Jesus died. He rose again. He was sinless. It was unbelievable. I love it. I enjoyed it. I revel in it. I love the grace of God. But the truth is, to be a strong Christian, to be a faithful Christian, to have knowledge, full knowledge of the word of God, we have to tackle the second coming, second coming, because it brings such hope, such endurance, such glory. And it's the final chapter, if you would, to the story of redemption. What I don't want us to do today is do, now I grew up in a fantastic church, just like we all grew up with a fantastic family, but we all have our issues, amen? One of our issues in the church we grew up in was the second coming was like a horror story. You understand me? They dragged the whole youth group into a room to watch Thief in the Night, a big hit in the 70s. You understand? Everyone got raptured and their clothes were perfectly folded. You understand me? Where's that in Revelation 22? Where's that? I was horrified. People were getting beheaded. They, they were like, the barcode is the mark of the beast. Like, that was technology back in the day, the barcode. <clears throat> and people were bugging. And it created <clears throat> just such an extraordinary fear with rather than longing for the second coming of Jesus, like Revelation teaches us, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come. People were afraid of it and wanted to run away and separate themselves from a world that they should be running into, laboring to share the gospel with them that they might be saved for the coming day of judgment, before the coming day of judgment, right? What a Christian does, he doesn't run out of the mess, he runs into the mess. He doesn't run away from the burning building, he runs into the burning building. To see people find salvation because we know that this life is passing. You know, the only people that should be afraid of the second coming are those who are faithless and those who are lawbreakers and those who reject Jesus. Just like the only people that should be afraid of police sirens are criminals. I was afraid of the cops in high school because I was a lawbreaker. The Popo 5 was coming. You understand me? We hated to sign the siren because it meant something's going to go down and one of us is going away. But when you're keeping the law, you love the sound of the sirens. It means your town's being protected. It means your family's safe. You mean there's people who are protecting the law, people who are executing justice. In the same way, when that trumpet blows, that's going to be the best sound you ever heard in your life if you're alive. I mean, you're here, whether in your heaven or on earth. That's something to long for. So there's a few things I want you to pull out of this because this is foundational to the Christian faith. There will be a visible, physical returning of the Son of God of Jesus. See, what happened was in the 19th, 18th century, actually 19th century, liberal theology began to overcome many pastors and many churches. Like I've heard people who grew up church their whole life never heard that Jesus was coming back again. How does that happen? 
because many liberal theologians adopted the view that in A.D. 70, everything was accomplished when it came to the second coming of Jesus. They call it full preterism. Just give you a few theological words if you want to study on midnight, on New Year's Eve. Full preterism. They say, Jesus, uh, no, Jesus is just going to come back in a spiritual, in a figurative way, which totally contradicts. It's heinous. It's filled with error. It's wrong because Jesus continually say, what did he say? In the same way I ascended into the clouds, I will return in the same way. It's peppered all through the Old Testament, talking about the physical second coming of Jesus, where he will appear, judge the living and the dead, and usher in the new heavens and the new earth, and establish an eternal kingdom. And that's what I want to focus on today. Hope and endurance as you think about this new year because of the second coming of Jesus. So there are three things I want to happen that we're going to tackle. I want us to get a big vision of the new heavens and the new earth. Let me ask you, do you guys just meditate on the beauty of a fully restored heaven and earth, new, where Jesus is king. So all you people who are always posting about politics, you don't have to worry about politics anymore. I can't wait till those tweets are over, thank God. Because Jesus is king. You have a beef with him, you probably won't be there anyways. I want us to have a big vision of the future because the then affects the now, and we'll tackle that. I want us to be able to endure suffering, and I want us to have a serious, be ferocious about laboring for the lost in 2017. About your friends, for your friends and family and co-workers that don't know Jesus. Labor in prayer, labor in love, labor in evangelism. I want to have ferocious labor because of, of our vision of the second coming. So let's turn to Re- um, Revelation 21. We'll go through verses 1 through 8. I'm telling you, it's it's therapeutic therapeutic to read Revelation. You know, I used to read it at night and just be scared like I watched a scary movie. Just read it at 11 with no lights on, just bug out and close it and be scared. But then I started understanding more the vision of the future, that God was something we should long for. And that actually is therapeutic. It brings peace to my soul. It brings strength. So it says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. How wonderful is that? For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, you got two beholds in a text, it's serious. I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and, with it, and I will be his God, 
and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, which means cultic practices, fortune-telling, Ouija boards, all that kind of stuff, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Powerful passage, right? Just you're like, this is awesome. This, oh, that's heavy. That's heavy. Wow. Oh, wow. That is a heavy, joyful, hopeful passage. And let's unpack this. So in this text, let's start here. What is happening is God is revealing to John an eschatological view, which is an end-time view of the second coming, what will happen with the new heavens and the new earth. So Jesus has returned, and he's ushering in a new heaven and a new earth, and he's opened John's eye to it, eyes to it. So instead of a horror story like we usually see, I want to see a love story, a redemption story of Jesus making all things new. Because it can seem like too much of a fantastic ending. That's why people try to work around it. Is it any more fantastic than God created everything from nothing? Is it any more fantastic that Jesus was born of a virgin? It is, is it any more fantastic that after three days in the grave, Jesus rose from the dead? We are talking about miraculous, fantastic stuff where God intervenes in human history and does the miraculous which brings glory to his son. So there's two things I want you to think about today when it comes to a vision of the second advent. First, Jesus is going to make all things new. Some of us wrongly believe when it comes to end time stuff and heaven and all this stuff. We believe that we're going to float somewhere between Jupiter and Saturn with floaty wings in a spiritual dimension, right? That's where everyone's going? Oh, I did it. No. No. Yes, there is an intermediate state where we will be in heaven with God, to be absent from the bodies, to be with God. But even heaven, we're just passing through to come down into new heavens and new earth where God is not throwing out this earth, but he was restoring it fully where the curse of sin and death and suffering will be no more more, and Jesus will be king. I love what Jesus says from the throne. Did you catch that, guys? Behold, I make all things new. I picture Jesus just sitting back like, you guys were worried? I am the Alpha, I'm the Omega, there's no one like me, there will never be anyone like me, I am the first and the last, they couldn't stop me. I will restore, I will love, I will make everything new. Behold, listen to this. Then he starts saying, write stuff down. It is serious. When's the last time you had a conversation, someone said, write this down? Someone is serious when they tell you to write it down. Even more serious, the King of Kings said, listen to this. I am the first and the last. Write it down for all eternity. Wow. He's the Alpha and Omega. No matter when, and I was reading one of John Piper's blogs, kind of informed me on this Alpha and Omega. Everyone's existence begins and ends with God. Whether it's an ending of grace and restoration and eternity with him or an end of judgment and punishment, your beginning and end is with God. He's the Alpha and He's the Omega of everything. Jesus was there when everything was created. He was there to save His creation and He will be there to restore His creation for all eternity. 
It's kind of like, if you remember that show Extreme Makeover? It was a hit for a while. Everyone was watching it with Ty. That brother had a lot of energy, a lot of Red Bulls. There's one story that really, one episode, and I'll try to remember, I don't remember every detail, but there's one episode that I really remember where there was a couple that they had adopted a, a bunch of children that had no homes, some with disabilities, and they had given their life to raising these children. And because they used all their resources for these children to care for them, to love them, their house really fell apart. Like, everything was falling apart when the Extreme Makeover team went in there. And so they surprised them by what? They used the same house, but they made everything new in this house. New countertops, new floors, new bathrooms. They even put in an elevator for one of the disabled children so they can go to the second floor. The beauty of the new heavens and earth, there'll be no disabilities in that way, and that's glorious. But everything was new in this house. And when they saw this house, they rejoiced, they were thankful, they enjoyed it, they recognized that it was their house, but everything was made new. I tell that story because earth is not getting tossed in the trash. Heaven is going to meet earth in a new spectacular way, but the curse of sin and the consequences of sin will be wiped away so all things will be made new like this. Jesus is going to use the canvas of the earth to make all things new. It's going to be far more fantastic. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be unbelievable. You know, some things I'm looking forward to in new heavens, new earth is having a dog because I have allergies. That ain't right. Everyone posts a picture of the dog hugging, and I can't do that. I picture myself dunking a basketball on Daniel Baker's head in love in a perfect heaven and perfect earth. It wasn't right, Danny? <laughs> uh, that's the first time I ever heard you ain't dunking on me from a congregation. The first thing is Jesus is going to make all things new. I want you to have a vision of that. Everything that's broken, everything that's hurt, every disease, all death, all pain washed away. The second thing, God will dwell with man in a visible and powerful way. Do you know what makes your house so wonderful? It's not the hardwood floors. It's not the countertops, even those are nice and secondary third ways. It's the presence of the people in the house that make your house a home, that make it a place you want to be. And the most spectacular thing is that Jesus, we're no longer going to have to see him by faith, but he will be among us as king, and the presence of God will fill the whole earth. That's the high point of everything. That's the greatest feature of the new heaven and new earth, that God will be with us, that he will dwell with us, just like in the Edenic state where God was walking with Adam and Eve. They could see him face to face. They didn't need faith. They walked with him. They talked with him. They felt his presence. They, they no longing for him because he was right there. You will, we will, all who believe in Christ will be with God, walking with God, experiencing his presence. Is that unbelievable? That's the treasure of the new heaven and the new earth. See, I'm teaching my daughters growing up. When you're a parent teaching your kids faith, there comes a point, at least in my daughters, we're singing, we're singing to Jesus, we're having birthday cakes to Jesus, we're praying to Jesus, we're worshiping Jesus. There's some days they say, what's up, where's he at? Where is Jesus? And you've got to say, that's what faith is about. Sin has called a, caused a veil to put over our eyes. It is no longer in the same way 
is God able to be seen and walk with and experienced in that same way with our eyes since the fall of man? But in that day, we'll be able to see, feel, touch, hold, walk, talk, experience the presence of God. That's what we all really long for. That's what we're all trying to fill those spaces with, sometimes in sinful ways. I want to feel God. I want to know God. I want the presence of God. I want to see God. And we turn to all these things to try to fill that longing. No more by faith, now with our eyes. Has anyone ever hoped for that? With everything they are? I want to see Jesus. Remember my daughter saying that. Man, I just want to see Jesus. I just want to see him. I can't wait. I remember my kids saying, I can't wait to go to heaven to see Jesus. I'm like, hold up. Don't be talking like that yet. There's time, little one. So that's the first thing. Have a spectacular view of the new heavens and the new earth. Secondly, a vision of a new heaven and new earth should cause us to endure. You've got to understand who this was written to originally. It's written to us all, but originally written to first century Christians who were going through some of the greatest persecution the world had ever seen. They were being tossed to lions. They would be run out of their house. They were being beheaded. They were on the run. It was a tough and torturous and a life that was suffering. And what this is doing, what this letter, what this revelation from God is speaking to the first century Christians is that you can endure through this suffering because there's a new heaven and a new earth coming. It won't always be broken. You won't always be suffering. You, loved ones won't always be dying. You won't be experiencing sickness. There, all those tears you're crying for your husband or for your dad who just got thrown to the lines, those will come to an end. And Jesus will restore all things and he will bring judgment on those who executed you, your loved ones. That's what they need to hear. And this is an important part. So first, we have a vision of the new heavens and earth. Second, in order to endure suffering for the sake of Jesus and suffering this life, you have to have a vision of the then when Jesus will return and make all things new and destroy the curse of sin because it will help you endure the now. And Tim Keller helped with this. He had three great quick stories I want to share with you. Hear this. The then always affects the now. The way you believe about your future always affects the now. For example, there were two guys got sentenced to a dungeon. Same sentence, 10 years. They both had families. Put in this dungeon. <clears throat> a few years into their suffering, in that judgment, the guard comes to one of the men and says, listen, your wife and children have died. He leaves. The other man knows that his wife and children are waiting for him after the 10 years when he gets out of the dungeon. They both have the same experience, the same suffering, the same darkness, the same pain. The man who got the news that his family had died, died in the dungeon because his then affected the now. He had no hope. There was no reason to endure. He had no vision of the future. In the same way, two men are put in a room they're given the most tedious job. It's called like Widget and the Wadget, man. I didn't have time to look it up. Two guys, listen, for next year, you're in this room on this table doing the most tedious job. You're going to get 20 million and you're going to get 20,000. One guy is told he's going to get 20 grand. The other man's told he's going to get 20 million. Every day, that guy, the 20,000, wakes up like this, absolutely. Beep. Right? 
He's like, I can't deal with this. How do I live like this? Who would live like this? Why the? The other guy wakes up like, we got this dog. Get that in there. Because the then affects the now. Do you guys hear me? African-American spirituals. I remember learning those in first grade, and the professor talked about this. You hear these people in the most oppressive situations that people can go through. Work in the fields, oppressed, treated like they're not made in the image of God. Yet, in this suffering, in this pain, in this life, where they're being sinned against, they're writing some of the most beautiful music about a new heaven and a new earth, and a hope in the future heaven that the world has ever heard. And what the professor said was, listen, these people were able to endure this suffering because they believed in the then, in the new heaven and new earth, where those who were sinning against them would be judged, and all things would be stored and given back to them. Do you guys hear what I'm preaching here? I remember singing, swing low, sweet chariots, coming forth to carry me home. I remember singing that in first grade and feeling the weight of that. Only someone who's suffering and has hope can write that kind of music. Only someone who can see the future revealed by Jesus can keep going in the worst of times. That's what separates those who understand the future of heaven and the future of earth from those who don't even think about it. Because when you're suffering, those who think this life is it, those who get caught up and trapped in their own narcissistic emotions can't see the future, can't see the then. But those who endure, those who have the strength, those who look, how are they making it through are those who look forward to a hope that is revealed in the second coming of Jesus. Amen? That's huge for this year. Because some of you might be suffering now, and some of you in 2017 might experience great suffering. Some of you might be battling cancer now. Some of you might get a cancer... Um, might find out that you might be battling cancer in 2017. If you get, if the doctor says you have cancer, is that the end of your life? No. Either God heals you here on this earth, or you're going to the next to be with Jesus. See, there's hope in that. There's endurance in that. If this is all there is, I have lost hope, I am miserable, let me die. Some of you have been abused, or will be abused in horrible, horrendous ways. Know why you can endure. Know why you can forgive. Know why you can have a clear conscience and even have those memories cast away. It's because your hope in a few new heaven and a new earth. One of the beautiful things in Isaiah 65, it says, all the sinful, hor-, and I'm paraphrasing, all the sinful, horrible memories, the way people abuse, that will be cast away in a new heaven and new earth. You can endure during the worst abuse because you have a hope when Jesus will wipe away all the consequences of abuse. Every relationship will be in perfect harmony. Every body in perfect health. Every heart set in perfect worship of God. Every song lifted in perfect tune. Every knee bowed in perfect unity to King Jesus in a new heaven and new earth. That's why any suffering you go through, you can make it through because of the hope of restored new heaven and new earth. Amen? See, the wrong gospel people preach to you is this. Follow Jesus 2017, best year of your life, kid. 
Nothing's going wrong. You're going to have a six-pack triceps pumping out. People just sending you checks. That's 2017 best year. Who told you that? Where'd you get that forecast? There's a lot of messed up stuff that's going to happen in 2017. Just like a lot of great stuff. But you can endure it all because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, that's the hope we have. Not that everything's going to go right, but I'm more than an overcomer and a conqueror in Jesus Christ. That's the difference between faith and secularism. And finally, the final point. And when you have a vision of the second coming, it not only causes you to endure in suffering, it causes you to labor for the lost. I mean, there's a chilling part of this passage, is there not? I almost wish, you know, I almost want to chop verse 8 off here, then I... And I said, there's a reason this is in this section. I can't do that. I'll be like those itchy ear preachers. But is this scary? It says, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So one of the toughest things when I started following Jesus when I was young was get hold of a doctrine of hell. You know, that's a, that's a challenging thing to say, okay, how, how is there hell? Uh, can a loving God make a hell? How does that work? Of course, I've been following Jesus 20 years now. I understand God's justice demands judgment and punishment. And gra- I understand those mo- things more deep, deeply, but I was working through those things when I was 19 years old. And one of the things I remember my mom told me, because I'm working, I'm like, how th- can this be? I believed with all my heart, but I was struggling. How can this be? And my mom looked at me, and I'll never forget this. She said, are you more compassionate than God. And that's the question I want to ask you. The scriptures reveal that God created hell in perfect judgment and he's perfectly loving. If you deem hell as not compatible with love, are you labeling yourself as more loving than God? And what I realized in that moment is that I was guilty of self-worship. I had idolized my concept of love so much to actually put myself in a place where I actually am more loving than God in my system of love that could not exist to hell. Does that make sense? It's a product of self-worship where we actually think we are more loving than God if we declare there's no hell when the Bible emphatically says there is a hell. But what's beautiful is that Jesus is warning us of this coming judgment for all who reject Jesus So people don't have to have hell as their existence and don't have to experience that punishment that really we all deserve. So we all deserve hell, right? We're all guilty. We all have sinned. We all fall short of the glory glory of God. The only difference between those who will experience the new heaven and the new earth and those who experience hell is that we put our faith in Jesus because we realized our works wouldn't cause us to experience heaven and receive the grace of God justified by faith while those who experience hell will say, I don't need a Savior. I don't even believe in a Savior. I don't even believe in a God. And they will experience that judgment. The seriousness of that text, it can either drive you to despair and drive you to question God, or it can drive you to labor. Do you guys hear me? If someone said, everyone's going to fall off that cliff, and I just saw people kept falling off, I could say, man, that's horrible. Oh, I can start running and saying, don't, no. 
the doctrine of hell, the doctrine of judgment, the doctrine that not all people will inherit the new heavens and the new earth should cause us more than ever in 2017 to share the gospel with our loved ones. Let me ask you, will you put off another year having a serious conversation with your loved ones about the gospel of Jesus Christ? If there's any question in your mind that your family does not fully understand the grace of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the cross of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, all those things that the gospel entails, please, I urge you to sit down with them and ask them. Get through all the awkwardness. Get through, I'm uncomfortable. Get with, I'm not used to this dynamic in the relationship. And do it because you love them. Please, let 2017 be a year that you labor for the lost. Because you've got to understand this when it comes to, once again, let's understand the context in which the scripture was preached in. Imagine, it is totally absurd to think, because some people say, well, all people just go to heaven, you just meet with God. That is the most absurd doctrine I ever heard. I understand the sentimentality behind it. But imagine this was the message to the first Christians. Your husband was being thrown to the lions. You were driven out of your house. You, you, you were being beheaded, or your family was being beheaded, or your friends or your brothers and sisters of Christ were being beheaded. And they said, listen, don't worry about it. Everyone's going to heaven. See that guy beheading you, rejecting Jesus, the one who helped crucify Jesus? He's going to be there too. Everyone's going. God is love. You guys know that person. Some of you are that person. I love you. There is no way. It is absolutely absurd to think the one who was killing Christians, the one who was killed for faith in Jesus, will experience a new heaven and the earth. It's absolutely absurd to think the one who is sacrificing everything in this life will be in the same new heavens and earth as the one who rejected Jesus and just lived for this life. It's absolutely absurd to be the one who is living in habitual sin in rejection of Jesus is going to experience the same new heaven and new earth as the one who's grown in grace and being obedient and walking in holiness with Jesus. It's absurd to even think that. Does that make logical sense, guys? Not too many amens. Serious. That is the seriousness of it. Now, there's this big question of this. What's the difference? I, I just looked at that list, and I've done a few of those. I'm like seven for eight. <laughs> right? Someone looked at it and said, we're all done, kid. <laughs> I thought this was going to be uplifting new heavens and new earth message. We are all sinners. We've all fought on the glory of God. We understand we need God's grace. We're all guilty of most of these sins. But there's a difference between falling and getting up and receiving the grace of God that we all need every day, and saying, I know what you want for my behavior, Jesus, yet I'm going to habitually live in sin. So if you look in all the texts, it says those who practice these things, those who are habitual in these things, those who do. The practice, being habitual in those, is showing that your life is not surrendered to King Jesus. And this is the seriousness of it. And everyone wonders, why do you preach on sin here? Because I love people. Because I love people and the way I live my life of, of faith, I'm repenting of sin all the time. So my call and urge to you is both for ourselves and for the ones we love. If you are someone, and I'm not thinking of anyone in here, if you are someone who has not surrendered your life to Jesus, put your faith in Jesus, and left that life of sin behind where you practice habitual sin, let 2017 be the day, be the year where the grace of God floods your heart and you see God change you in ways you never thought you'd be changed. 
so you can live your life as a light that shines before men and glorifies your Father who is in heaven. See, the great lie of the enemy is you can never change. You never stop doing this. You've been doing this for so many years. That's a lie of the enemy, that if we buy that, we won't change. But if you believe that the grace of God is not only for forgiveness but for transformation, you can overcome any sin by the power and the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want you to be encouraged for that. And some of you might think some of your loved ones, they are so messed up that they will never put their faith in Jesus and they will never change. Listen, the Bible is full of, me- full of messed up people <laughs> that, that no one gave a chance to. And Jesus says, he's going to be a leader in my kingdom. And so that's what I want you to hear today in closing. I want you to first have a vision that all suffering, all pain, all death will be washed away and King Jesus will come and restore and bring Heaven will meet earth, new heavens and new earth. Jesus is coming back one day. That should stir our souls. We should long for that. Secondly, any suffering you go through in 2017, know that you can make it by the power of God because of that hope. And thirdly, let's be driven to labor in evangelism and labor in repentance that we might grow in Christ and we might see many saved by the gospel of grace in 2017. Amen? Let's pray.